The student ministry podcast you're about to hear is a lesson taught during a Wednesday night teen Bible study by Brother Kerry Schmidt. Brother Schmidt has served as an assistant pastor at Lancaster Baptist Church for over 20 years and currently serves as the director of the student ministries. For more sermon resources, please visit preaching.lancasterbaptist.org. Luke 15, look at verse 10. Likewise, I say unto you, there's joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repented. I put that verse in the text for the simple fact that I wanted you to understand the context. Jesus is talking about lost sheep that are found. He's talking about a lost coin that's found. And in this case that we're going to read, a lost son. And the, the, there's a lot of big lessons in this story. One of the biggest is grace. One of the biggest takeaways is that when you do mess up, there's a road back. God wants you back. Um, God always wants you back. And that would stand true for your parents. It would stand true for me. It would stand true for Pastor Chapel and everybody here that loves you. I want to contextualize everything we're going to talk about in this series. A lot of it is preemptive. A lot of it is warning you about the, the factors that might draw you away into messing up your life. But don't ever forget the fact that this story is about coming back to God after you've messed up. Some of you are going to go out of this youth group and you're going to do exactly what I'm talking about tonight and you're going to mess up. And the devil's going to jump on your shoulder once you've messed up and say, now you've messed up and you can never go back. And that's a lie. Some consequences you can never undo. Some damage and scars you can never erase from sin. Um, There are some factors that last forever in your life in terms of Uh, Not forever, but for the rest of your life. But there's always a way back to God's grace and to God's favor. There's always a way back to God's family. There's always a way back to right relationships with people that love you uh, and that people that want the best for you. And so that's what Jesus is talking about. Over one sinner that repented, there's, there's joy. Verse 11, then he said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living, and not many days after, the young son, younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat. And no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. And I am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. What an awesome verse. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put on him and Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be merry. 
Now his elder son was in the field, and as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. And he was angry and would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. And he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years I do serve thee, neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment. And yet thou never gavest me a kid, that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad, for this thy brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. Let's pray. Lord, we love you and we thank you for the opportunity we have to gather together in Senior High Bible Study. And I pray, God, tonight that you'd help us to have soft hearts. I pray that you would work in our hearts and begin to teach us from this story over the next several months that we would learn how this young man messed up his life and when he did, how he, how he came back and what happened when he repented. And I pray that we would hold these lessons in our hearts and I pray that they would be preventative and keeping us from going off into sin and forsaking our faith. But for those that do go and mess up, I pray that this, these lessons would stay with them and that they would remember that there's a path back. And we pray that you'd bless our time tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. I got a letter, an email, I want to read it to you, and this came to me a couple years ago, it came to me from a young lady who grew up through our youth group, uh, you would not know her, this was years ago, um, and she sat in Bible study, she sat in Sunday school, she sat in senior class, she came to spring banquet, uh, she went teen soul winning, she grew up in a Christian home, she was placed on a strong foundation, and uh, you would have, to know her, you would have thought she's going to do well. She's going to graduate from high school. She's going to go off and uh, pursue God. And she's been given everything she needs in terms of provision and um, God's truth and God's word. She's saved. She's experienced God's grace. She has a Christian home. Her parents love her. Her parents have stayed married. She had everything going her way. And this is what she wrote to me some years after high school. Hi, Brother Schmidt. This is, and she put her name. I know that you've been going through a lot. This is right at the beginning of my cancer, I believe, that I received this. And I've been praying for you and your family. Well, I just wanted to write to you and get some advice. I got married a few months after I graduated. And she's talking about graduating from high school. She moved away shortly after she graduated from high school. Her family didn't move away, but she did. She left home. Well, I just wanted to write to you and get some advice. I got married a few months after I graduated, and I did things completely the wrong way. After I got married, I learned that my husband had slept with prostitutes while he was overseas, and that that was all he had ever been with. I found that out after we had been married over a year. I was heartbroken. But what else did I, could I expect? I did the wrong thing by marrying him i was away from god and i didn't want to listen to anyone or what anyone had to say my husband didn't grow up like me at all 
All of his family are drug addicts and alcoholics. Well, I'm trying to get back into an independent Baptist church. I realize I need it. And that what you taught and what my parents taught me was true all along. You weren't just trying to keep us from having fun. You were trying to help us. And now I realize that, but it's too late. My life is ruined. I want you to hear what I'm about to read to you. Every day, I want to leave my husband. Now just think about this. This is a young lady that sat in Bible study. I have a letter by a young man, exactly the same kind of stuff. He sat here. He came in and laughed with his friends. She came in and laughed with her friends. They probably didn't want to move up to the front either. Nobody ever wants to move up to the front. I don't hold that against you. It's a hassle. I understand that. But I want you to think. Just think about this. Just play the video. Play the DVD in your mind. This girl had a great future. None of this had happened when she was where you are right now. She left home and she ran from God as quickly as she could. She did exactly what this young man in this story that we just read did. She couldn't wait to get away. She was sick of me trying to keep her from having fun. She was sick of what her parents tried to tell her. She had her own way figured out. She knew what she was going to do and she knew it was going to go the way she thought it was going to go. She knew in her mind, her imagination, how it was going to all play out. And by the way, she never imagined any of this. She never imagined that the guy she fell in love with was the guy that she found him to be. He totally conned her. Now, would her dad, you guys help me out here, would her dad have known this was the wrong guy? Yes or no? Oh, yeah. Would, would pastor, would those of us that loved her and taught her in Sunday school, would we have known this was the wrong guy, yes or no? Absolutely. It would have been as clear as day to us. Why? Because that's what we do. We help people navigate life, and we, just could, we could have seen the warning signs. This guy is not a Christian, or this guy doesn't believe what you believe. He doesn't have your values. He's lying to you. He's obviously got a past. I mean, it would have been as plain as a billboard in front of us, but to her, that was all blinded because she was in love. And she was needing acceptance and needing this dream to be real, this fantasy to be real. Basically, she was in a, under a delusion. We're going to study that about seven weeks from now. There's a, there's a phrase in this story where the young man, it says, when he what? Came to himself. So basically, from the first verse of the story to that verse, this guy's not seeing the truth. This guy's under a delusion. He is deceived. And that's what happened to this girl. And so now she's at this point where she's married. She's away from God. She's away from her family. She's away from everybody that loves her. And the guy she's married with is a total loser. And she says now, now this is the guy she couldn't wait to be with. This is the guy she couldn't wait to marry. And she forsook everything for him. Every day I want to leave my husband. Listen to this. He's constantly lying to me. He's constantly doing bad things. I'm pregnant now. 
I want you to stop and think about that. What kind of father has she given her baby? What kind of hope does this new child have? What's he going to be born into? This girl's delusion and her straying at 17 and 18 now isn't just wrecking her life. Now she's got a baby. And that baby's got a father who hires prostitutes and lies and cheats. This is what she says. I'm pregnant now, a little boy. And I'm terrified. You remember when we found out we were expecting Lance? Were you terrified? I can't imagine, Brother Bowler, were you terrified? I mean, I understand there's a spiritual terror, you know, to becoming a parent. But that's not the terror she's talking about. You guys realize the happiest day of your life, other than salvation, should be the day you get married. And next to that would be the day that you have your first child. This girl has now married her. And, 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 and where she should be in life is just growing in a relationship with her new husband and Oh my goodness, we're going to have a baby. We're starting a family. This is wonderful. And it should be tears of joy and, and calling the parents to explain you're going to be grandparents and I can't wait. And oh my soul, this is so wonderful. And now her emotion is I'm terrified. A little boy and I'm terrified. What do I do? Now hear this. I want my son to be raised the right way. Interesting. Two years before, she didn't care that she was raised the right way. All of a sudden, everything's different now. A year or two out of high school, suddenly she's away from all that she knew, all that loved her, all the truth she was given. Now she's destitute, neglected, abused, bringing a child to this world, and now she says, I want him to be raised the right way. Wow. Now she cares. Now things matter. Now all the stuff that she wished she had kept and listened to from Sunday school and Bible study and church and youth conference and camp, now it's all valuable. I don't want him to see his daddy sinning and cheating on me. I can't leave, and my husband knows that. Please give me some advice. Thank you. And she signed her name. Dude, what do you say to that? Brother Chapel, I got that email. I'm like, what do I say to this person? After I got the email, I found out she was being abused. She was being hit cursed at, that it was more than she had put in the email. <clears throat> Step one to wrecking your life is the title of this lesson. Step one is just start to resent the place of God's blessing. 
And I want you to hear this and look at this statement on your screen. I think it may be on your outline as well. A lot of people wreck their lives in their youth and then they spend their latter years putting it back together. Now, praise God that people do come back to God. I'm I'm for it. I'm all about it. So is God. No matter where you go in life, no matter what you do, you ought to be a part of a church that makes it easy for people to get right with God because God makes it easy for people to get right with Him. That's what Jesus on the cross is all about. That's what grace and forgiveness and and restoration is all about. That's what the love of God is all about. And so praise God for people who wreck their lives at 18, 19, 20, 21, 25, and then they spend till 45 putting it back together and trying to apologize and make things right and get their life back on the right track. Praise God for people that come to themselves like the prodigal son will eventually do. But you know, my prayer is that this study will be preventative to you. Because you are all in your youth, and none of you, none of you, not one person in this room has wrecked your life yet. Not a single teenager has wrecked your life. Some of you are headed there. I don't know who you are. You probably know who you are better than I would in terms of you know your own heart, you know where you are with God. I don't know where you are with God. But I want you to have this context. A lot of people experience this story. This is their story. I really blew it, and now I'm 30, and I came to myself, and I realized how bad I blew it, and I even blew it for my kids, and now I've got to try to put it all back together. And frankly, some of you are children of families of these people, and that's wonderful. Praise God that they came to Christ and that you're saved, that they're saved, and that you're on a, on a, on a restorative, healing, going-forward path. Thank the Lord for it. But here's my question. We're not looking back tonight. We're looking forward. So I don't know what your grandparents did or what your parents did. And, and some of you I'm talking to you have Christian parents, godly parents. Some of you don't have any parents. Some of you have one parent. There's all kinds of people in this room. But I'm not talking about what they did. Uh, let's turn around now and look forward. And let's think about you at 15 and at 17. And let's ask the question, what are you going to do? Is this going to be your story? Are you going to wreck your life and then spend, you know, for the next 10 years wreck it and then spend a lot of time putting it back together. Because my mission in youth ministry is to help you avoid that path. Uh, Along the way, I hope you like me, but I don't care if you like me, really. My mission is to help you prepare. My mission is to help you get ready um, and to avoid the path that this man is about to walk. I want you to write this down. It may be in your outline already. The prodigal. The word prodigal by the way, before I put this up here, how many of you know what that word means? I'll be honest with you. For years, I, I never knew what that word means. What, 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 Chris, what would you say it means? Okay. I, I always thought, I didn't know, when I was your age, I didn't know if the prodigal was the dad. You know, the prodigal's, prodigal's son. I never knew if that was an apostrophe S on that, you know, or if the son was the prodigal. And, so, and, and then it occurred to me one day, wait, that, that, that word's not even a Bible word. The word prodigal is not in the Bible. The word prodigal means spending money or resources freely or recklessly, wastefully or extravagant. Okay? I, and I, I give you that as a context. It's not really a Bible word. We're going to study the prodigal son. It's really an adjective describing what kind of kid this was, uh, what kind of values he had, and what happened in his life. And I want to say this, again, by way of introduction. You are a prime candidate to become what this young man became. 
Every single person in this room is a prime candidate to become what this young man became uh, because we live in the same context that he lived in. Before we look at him or his dad or his brother or the people that he partied with or the pigs or any of that other stuff in the story, I want to look at the place. I want to look at where was this young man in life? What was going on in his life before any of this happened? Uh, And the first thing I noted from this, and this is the first point in your outline, is that God blessed this young man with security. God blessed this kid with security. And I want you to look at it in verse 12. A, verse 11, a certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided them his living. So what I see in this verse is a faithful father. I see a comfortable home. I see security. I see stability. I see a man who loved his sons. I see a man who provided for him, uh, uh, for them. I see a young man who had eaten well and lived well. I see a young man who probably, though we know, and by the way, though you know the end of the story and I know the end of the story, let's just pretend we don't for a minute. This is a young man who probably never even saw a pig pen. He probably didn't even know what pigs ate. He probably had no clue what was out there in terms of riotous living because he had grown up in a wonderful environment. He had grown up with security and stability and love and provision. It reminds me of Deuteronomy 6. In fact, turn there if you will. Hold your place in Luke chapter 15 and go back to Deuteronomy chapter 6. And and what you'll see in this chapter, this is the transition of a generation and God is preparing for it. And he's saying to the parents, I want you to get your kids ready. And and this is the generation that God delivered. God showed himself real. God did all these miracles and he provided. And and, and you know the stories in the book of of Exodus, how God delivered the children of Israel from from Egypt and all the miracles and the parting of the Red Sea and the water from the rock and the manna from heaven. And boy, did he have lots of problems with the children of Israel, but he showed himself real. And there's no doubt in in the children of Israel's mind, in these people's minds, there's no doubt that God is real and he blesses faith and he blesses obedience, and he's taken care of us, and he's provided for us. There's no doubt in their minds that this faith thing was real. And so God says, it comes to them in Deuteronomy chapter 6, and verse 1, Now these are the commandments, the statutes, uh, and the judgments which the Lord your God commanded to teach you, that you might do them in the land where you go to possess it, that thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all his statutes, his commandments, which I command thee, thou and thy what? And thy son, and thy what? Son's son, all the days of thy life, that thy days may be prolonged. Now, go with me to Judges chapter 2. We could read a lot more there, but we don't have time. But basically, God says in Deuteronomy 4 and Deuteronomy 6, I want you to remember, and I want you to teach your children, and I want them to remember, and I want them to teach their children. I want you to teach your grandchildren. I want the next generation to grow up knowing me, living for me, loving me. I don't want them to forget all that I've done for them. And what you see in the prodigal is you see a young man who, by the way, when he came back to God, when he came back to his father, he said, I've sinned against heaven. So we know this was a young man that had faith. We know this was a young man that grew up a lot like you're growing up, relationally and spiritually. He may not have had an Xbox. He may not have had an electric razor. 
Uh, he may not have had some of the comforts that you had, but relationally and spiritually, he was growing up with loving parents in a biblical environment that was training him, providing for him, secure, steadfast, stable. It was all there. Okay, That's what, exactly what happened with Deuteronomy 6. Now, go to Judges chapter 2 if you're, uh, if you're not there already. Judges, let me go back a couple chapters. I'm too far ahead. And I want you to see to me what is one of the saddest verses in all the Bible. Look at verse 10. And also all that generation. Now that generation is the Deuteronomy 6 generation. This is the generation that God said, I want you to teach your kids. All that generation were gathered under their fathers. They died. They're all gone. And there arose another generation after them, which what? Next two words. Which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which we had which he had done for the children for Israel. Sad verse, because here now you have one generation of followers of God who pass away. You got another generation that grow up, and they're going, What? I don't get it. I don't know about this God. I don't know about all his works. These are these are the children and grandchildren of those that had seen God do all these miracles. They had grown up with that security and that spiritual foundation, but Judges says that they did not know this God. Most people grow up, now I want you to think about this with me, most people grow up without a lot of security or direction or spiritual stability, and they spend their whole life seeking it. I'm talking about your peers in public schools. I'm talking about people your age at the mall that you'll see tomorrow or at Mulligan's or you see hanging around your street. They're growing up in a completely different context than most of you are growing up. They're growing up in a home that doesn't have a lot of depth, a lot of maturity, a lot of direction. doesn't have, most of the time, there's no holiness, there's no righteousness. Most of the time, the relationships are non-existent or if they exist at all, they're very fragmented and fighting and, and messy. Most of the generation of your age are not growing up with spiritual stability and security. And so they don't grow up with it, but then they go out in, at 18, 19, 20, and they spend the rest of their lives looking for it. And they look for it in sex. They look for it in parties and friendships. They look at it for it in getting, giving into peer pressure. They look for it through illicit relationship after relationship after relationship and jobs and then money and career. And they think that if I get enough education and enough income, if I can buy enough stuff, then I will have what I'm really longing for in my heart. Most of you are growing up with it in you already. You're standing on this foundation of love and grace and strength and security and truth. You know stuff at 17 and 16 and 15 that most of the people in the Antelope Valley at 50 and 60 don't even know. You could write stuff by memory Wisdom could flow out of your mind at 15 that somebody 45 down the street from you, it's rocket science to them. You could take for granted the fact that you're being placed on an incredibly strong foundation of security. You are already where most people in life hope to be someday. I don't know if you guys are catching that. I'm I'm not talking about financially. Obviously, nobody wants your income when they're 30. Okay, I'm not talking about uh, everybody still wants to be living with their parents and mom, you know, cutting the crust off their 
uh, bread and doing their laundry and hanging you know, their model airplanes from the ceiling and, uh, you know, cherishing your merit badges from Boy Scouts. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about spiritually and relationally. Most of you know more about marriage right now in your life than people who have been married 10 and 20 years who don't know the Lord. Most of you know more about family right now just because of the Bible teaching you hear at this place every week and the, grow, and, the, and the environment you've grown. Most of you already have it. You've got this foundation, this place of stability and truth and depth that the world doesn't even get and they long for it. You're already there and maybe you don't even realize it. Silliest thing I ever hear is when a Christian kid says, yeah, well, I don't really want to be in the youth group and I don't really want to be in a Christian school because if I'm sheltered, I'll be so far behind. That's the stupidest thing somebody could possibly say. Brother Isaiah is back here. He keeps saying, yeah. He and I have been going to elementary schools. We've gone to one elementary school twice and we've te- we taught parents at this elementary school. And these parents, 50, 60, 70 of them will come in and sit down, will hand out outlines, and he translates for me because half of them are Spanish. And I'm talking, and I'm up there, and I'm saying stuff, guys, that you'd be like, you'd be like, Brother Schmidt, this is so boring. It's so ridiculously mundane. Could I have a coloring sheet, please? I mean, you would be so... And these parents are sitting there. Brother Isai, you're my witness, man. They're writing as fast as they can. They're coming up to me in tears afterwards. They're going, nobody ever told me this. These are 30 and 40 and 50-year-old people with, with families. I had a lady that came to me and she said, I learned more in the last hour. She said, I enlisted in a city-led parenting class for eight weeks. I went every week for eight weeks. I learned more in one hour in this class than I learned all of the eight weeks combined. As we left the first time, I was telling that to Brother Isai, and he said to me, isn't it funny how that when you teach people the Bible, but they don't know it's the Bible, when you teach people the Bible and they don't know it's the Bible, it's awesome. But if you tell them it's the Bible, it's stupid. And that's all I did. The principal said, you can't talk about the Bible, you can't talk about the church, you can tell them where you work and you can get up and teach. And I said, great, I'll do it. I was quoting Bible verses, they didn't even know I was quoting them because I wasn't saying the Bible says. I was just quoting them, you know. Um, and, and I'm teaching them principles that are all biblical, it's kind of sneaking up on them, you know. And they're, oh, this is amazing. Why doesn't anybody teach this stuff? I'm just telling you guys, you have been given the same kind of stability that this young man had. The place of security is an optimal place, listen, for God to be forgotten and for gratitude to die. This is important. Turn page. The place of security. Now that you've turned the page, look at the statement with me, okay? Why do I say you're a prime candidate to be a prodigal and so was I and so am I? Brother Schmidt, you're 43. So am I. I'm not too old to do something stupid. I preach to me when I'm preaching to you. The place of security is an optimal place for God to be forgotten and for gratitude to die. You can just forget what you have and you can cease to be thankful for it. So the prodigal was given security. Second thing I wrote down is that God blessed the prodigal with provision. Provision. Verse 12, he goes to his father and he says, give me 
my substance. Give me the portion of my goods. It, tell, it tells me that this kid had a lot. It would be like you going to your parents tonight after church and saying, I want everything that's mine. I want my comforter set, my lamp from my desk. I want everything that's in my desk. I want my books. I want my Xbox. I want my Wii. I want my iPod, my phone. I want my lap. Uh, you know, whatever you've got that you think is yours, that's, that's kind of what this young man did. And it, it reminded me as I was studying this that this kid had stuff. His parents had stuff. In fact, in verse 13 and 14, apparently it was enough in his mind to live off of for some time. When we come to verse 12, we find out that his father has many hired servants. How cool would that be? This kid grew up well. He was taken care of. And by the way, you might be saying, well, my parents don't have many hired servants. You are their hired servants, right? My allowance, that's my, I'm a hired servant. Here's what I want to tell you. The poorest family at Lancaster Baptist Church is wealthy by the world standards, by the global standards of the world. Not long ago, my brother and his family moved to Guatemala. They, they, my brother was doing very well. He was in the mortgage industry. He lived outside of New York City. He had five acres, built a beautiful home. Every kid in his family had a separate bedroom. They had quads. They had fun. They had stuff. They were doing very well. And one day, my brother just got under conviction, he and his wife, and they loved the Lord. They, they, they're a little different than I am philosophically, but they loved the Lord. And I'll tell you what, I could not argue with their faith that they expressed in what I'm about to tell you. He's my youngest brother, and I'm really proud of what he did. He basically, he and his wife said, you know what? Um, God's calling us to, to, to leave it all. And they sold everything they owned. I mean everything. They sold their house. They sold their cars. They, sold, they had paid off stuff. They, they sold every possession they had. They had garage sale for garage sale. What they couldn't sell, they gave away. They literally, if they come back to America, they have no place to live. They have no earthly possession in America. That Nobody's holding a car for them. Nobody's got a box of their stuff. I mean, maybe somebody's got a box of keepsakes somewhere, but they sold everything. And they didn't go on deputation and get support. Nothing. They just left the country and moved to Guatemala. This was about three or four years ago now. We were actually scared for them. I'm like, what are you doing, Mark? You know, what in the world? I was hoping he'd go to churches and get support. I mean, what, how are you going to live? You know, if, if, you don't, if you don't have any support, what are you going to do? He, I mean, they moved down there. They found a place to live. They lived off some of their equity and some of their savings because they took all that they had sold and saved it to live off of until they could get down there and establish a living. And they had a few friends, not many, but they had a few friends that jumped on board and helped support them and began to help them. And now what they're, they're doing down there is they're leading people to Christ, which is pretty cool. They are building a school. Uh, this is three and a half, four years later now, but they've bought, they've managed to buy a 10 or 20 acre parcel of land and they're literally building a $500,000 school. And God's providing just one week at a time and, and they're getting checks from places they never knew people that people are finding out about them and sending them here's fifty thousand dollars for your school it's like oh my goodness god is just making a way it's amazing but they're down there doing stuff like they're educating kids and they're raising chickens and giving them to to people because people don't know where their next meal is going to come from and so if you can raise a chicken and give it to a family that's that's a couple meals probably they're helping to provide fresh water they're helping to dig wells now you know, I got to thinking about, 
the fact that somebody down in Guatemala has got to wake up in the morning, take a bucket, walk down a path, and, and get their water for the day and bring it back to the house. And that's their water for the day. If they're going to bathe, they use that water. They go make another trip. If they're going to drink something, that's what they use. If they're going to make something or wash something, that's their water. And it's not flowing in their house or even near their house. It's, it's like in a central place where they got to go and line up and stand in line with everybody else in the village and work to get their water. And I, I got to thinking about my house or your house. And I think you ought to go home tonight and count all the places that water flows from your house. Think about somebody in a third world country just to wake up tomorrow morning to go get a drink of water or brush their teeth or wash up for the day. They've got to walk half a mile down a dirt path, stand in line with a bunch of other people and wait their turn to get to the well. And if they're a little kid, God help them. Somebody's got to fight for them to get them to the front of the line. And tonight, when you go home, just count it. You're going to come to your sink and your kitchen and your refrigerator. Most of you have a refrigerator. You put a glass up, water comes out. Most of you got an ice maker in your refrigerator. Uh, you got a, you got a bathroom that's got a toilet and a, and a spigot, uh, a sink and a tub and a shower. And some of your houses have three bathrooms and should you multiply that three times over. And then you got two or three uh, nozzles on the, around your house, one in the front, one in the back, maybe one or two on the side. I mean, some of our homes, guys, would have 10 or 15 or 20 places where you could just walk up to any place and turn a knob and water comes out. And you think you're poor because you don't have an Xbox. And you realize there are people all over the world that if they saw your house and how many places water flows from your house would think you're like the king of a country. God blessed this prodigal with some pretty amazing provision. We don't wonder where our next meal is coming from. You don't wonder where you're going to get a drink of water or whether you're going to be able to take a shower in the morning. God's given us a lot of good gifts. And I want you to see thirdly, and I've got to wrap this up, God, God was forgotten, gratitude died, and resentment grew. This whole story starts with a kid who was very much like you in his place in life. He had a family that loved him. He had spiritual, relational security. He had physical provision. He didn't worry about what to wear, what to eat, what to drink. He was really well taken care of. And that's the platform from which the whole story unfolds. Why did I start tonight by saying you're a perfect candidate, you're a prime candidate to become a prodigal? Because everybody in here is pretty well loved and pretty well taken care of. Which makes us all really good candidates. Now there's a few people in here that haven't been well loved and haven't been well taken care of. And, and, and they've come to the Lord and are growing in His grace and can't wait to stay faithful to God for the rest of their life. The least likely people in this room to run from God are the ones that God has rescued out of that situation. You know who I see run from God? The people that God took the best care of. That's pretty sad. Thank you for listening to this Student Ministry 127 podcast. 
For more sermon resources, visit preaching.lancasterbaptist.org. And for information about West Coast Baptist College, visit wcbc.edu.